was a United Methodist pastor who, for several summers back in the 1950s, would go to Paris and be the intermediate pastor at the American church in Paris. One Sunday after the worship service, he noticed a man in a dark suit surrounded by quite a few people. And what he learned was that Albert Camus, the author, had been coming to his church first to hear the organist, and then he started coming back to hear what the preacher had to say. Howard Muma, this pastor, became friends with the existentialist Camus, who by then was famous for his novels, The Plague and The Stranger, and some essays. And the two men would meet to discuss Camus' religious beliefs or his questions. And for 40 years, this pastor kept confidential these conversations. He didn't want to bring it out to, you know, I guess break the confidentiality that Camus had entrusted to him. But eventually he talked a little bit about one of them. In one such conversation, Camus told Muma, The reason I have been coming to church is because I am seeking. I'm almost on a pilgrimage, seeking something to fill the void that I am experiencing. And no one else knows. Certainly the public and the readers of my novels, while they see that void, are not finding the answers in what they're reading. But deep down, I am searching for something that the world is not giving me. The choir has just sung for us that verse that many consider to be the climax of John's gospel. Many of us memorized it in Sunday school. When I spent time in Ivory Coast, West Africa, I learned it in French. You ready for me to show off? Car Dieu a tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son fils unique afin que quiconque croit en lui ne périsse point, mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. (laughs) Thanks. And while we can quote it, Do we understand it? Do we understand John 3.16? It may be when we read it like we're hearing it in some unknown foreign language. I like the way that it's expanded in the Amplified Bible. So I wanted to read that to you, both both 16 and 17, the same ones that were in the anthem. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten or unique son so that whoever believes in or trusts in, clings to, relies on him shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. Jesus' conversation with one who is searching 
sets us up to hear this gospel in miniature, this good news. At night, in both physical darkness and spiritual darkness, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he says something like, So, I notice you are doing things that others of us only wish we could do. You seem to have an extra dose of God's power in you. Nicodemus is our stand-in. We approach Jesus with curiosity and start the conversation by telling him something we do know. But really, we have all these questions burning within us that we wish we could ask him. Questions to which we do not know the answers. And we're not alone in that, of course. For centuries, people have been seeking Jesus, seeking to understand him, seeking to know what motivated him, wishing we could be motivated to be like God as he was. It's been over a century since Albert Schweitzer did some research and published The Quest of the Historical Jesus. And we continue the quest for the historical Jesus And also to know what this Jesus means to us now. now. There are magazines for every hobby, for woodworking, for quilting, for trains, for music, because people are passionate about these things and seek to know more. What would be different about this church if we were as passionate about Jesus as we are about our hobbies? We are attracted to Jesus. He's like a magnet that draws us to him again and again to see perhaps what he offers to us, to see what answers he might have for us, to see if he really is the way to eternal life. Not everyone believes he is, of course. Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, of course they don't, but... Even some who would define themselves as Christians would maintain that Jesus is not the only way to salvation. Our searching can bring us to some surprising conclusions or at least temporary answers that then carry us a step further on our search. So who is Jesus to you? And how do you feel when you hear that question? Do you feel kind of lost? Like, the, the, um, well, he, uh, well <laughs> I, I don't know. Who is Jesus to you? I admire Nicodemus for coming to Jesus and trying to understand him. You know, so many times in, in classrooms, maybe you remember this from growing up, the teacher would say, now class, there is no stupid question. She or he was encouraging us to to ask the questions, to not feel stupid, to not feel dumb. And yet we do feel at a disability when we don't know an answer. Because somehow society tells us that we're supposed to know everything from the start. At our church, we, um, there are six couples from within and outside the church that meet monthly to talk together about our marriages And then we go on a date with our spouses. Our resource book is called Ten Great Dates. 
And before each time we get together, we're supposed to read the chapter, and then there's a worksheet for him and a worksheet for her. And then when you go out on the date, you take these worksheets and the responses, and you talk about them with your spouse. So last month's topic was the most challenging yet. The title of the chapter was Building a Creative Love Life. Now, you know what that's an idiom for, don't you? Sex. Well, one of the most helpful things in the chapter reminded us that when we get married, none of us is an expert on loving our partner. We have to be willing to ask questions. We have to be open to talking about it, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how red in the face it makes us. Because our relationship is only going to be enhanced when we can open up and when we can talk and when we can ask questions of each other. And that's true in every area of our life. It's true in faith. Camus said, I am searching for something that the world is not giving me. Now, I suspect you are too. Churches get a bad rap, a bad reputation because... People perceive that we think we have all the answers. And there's no way. There's no way. Only if God were human could we maybe understand more about God. But God's not. So far beyond us. God is mystery and always will be. Jesus, too, is still mystery. And together with the Holy Spirit, they beckon us to ask more, to learn more, and to then practice better what we learn. Church needs to be a safe place to ask questions of faith, to search without an assumption that we must fall within certain doctrinal guidelines. And then, of course, we must let our faith move us to action. We must allow the winds of God's spirit to blow around us and through us and to even transform us from within. A lot of people give up stuff during Lent like we heard during the children's sermon too. But hopefully it's not just to fulfill some church obligation. Hopefully it's to examine one's cravings and find that our deepest craving is to be For God. Jesus says you must be born again, born anew. You must completely release your old way of life and take on a new one. Change out of that old ratty warm-up suit with the holes and the strings hanging off and, and put on Jesus' dazzling white ensemble that looks even better than this one. Michael Jackson on his Thriller album, we just celebrated the anniversary. Woohoo! <laughs> Jesus can really make us dazzle, especially when we are born anew. So that's one thing that he tells Nicodemus allow yourself to be born again. Second, Let the Holy Spirit blow. Carl Schenck tells a story about when he was a young pastor and the wind blew 
in his church. We may know that wind and spirit and breath are the same Greek word. In this particular little church, they had a communion rail up at the front, and it was about 15 feet long, small. And people would come forward and take their place at the communion rail, kneeling, as the place was open. And this particular day that he's telling about, they had a full house. And a fellow that he calls Jim was in worship that day. And to set the stage, he tells us that these events took place right after the Vietnam War. And that during that time, many congregations were sponsoring sponsoring the resettlement of Indo-Chinese refugees. And this congregation had done that. They had helped to settle 22 Laotian refugees in their community. And Jim had been against it in almost ugly ways. He thought that they didn't belong in their community. He thought that the church should not have brought those people in. So this particular Sunday, Jim was sitting on one side of the congregation and the Laotians were sitting on the other. And both Jim and the Laotian family started towards the communion rail at the same time. Now the pastor says, I could see what was going to happen and I was on tiptoe. Because when they administered communion to each other, each person at the rail served the person next to him or her. And so as they came down the aisles, Jim and the head of the Laotian family found themselves right beside each other. Now the bread began to make its way down the row. And someone on his right offered the body of Christ to Jim. And then Jim, I guess this way, served the person on his left who was this Laotian man. It was the person that he had tried to keep out of the community. And the pastor says you could hear a pin drop as Jim broke off a piece of the loaf of bread and said to the Laotian man next to him, This is my body. Given for you. The wind blew. Not everyone heard it. Some attendees were wondering where they were going for lunch. Others were making grocery lists. Someone else was thinking about watching the ball game. But for some, the wind blew. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't even an act of will. It wasn't a decision that anyone made except perhaps Jim. And it was a moment then that Christ came and the people who were there, the people who felt the wind blow, experienced a rebirth. Jesus says, be available for rebirth. Watch for the Spirit's Movement. You don't have to understand it, but just be aware of it. Be aware of the inspiration of fresh air that comes when that happens. 
two college friends were talking as they walked through the mall. And one was talking about going to seminary. The other didn't go to church anywhere anymore. The future seminarian said that even though he was planning to go to seminary, he could never see himself as pastor of a church because he knew that even going to seminary, he wasn't going to get all the answers. And he felt like the pastor had to have the many answers to the questions of faith. And his friend said, that's exactly what would attract me to your church. We know we don't have the answers. And yet I think our searching needs to come out of the darkness and into the light. Our searching needs to be made public. It's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of growth. Now dogs keep their pain a secret so no one will know that they're weak. But we're not dogs. When when our searching becomes public, we become stronger. And so do others, because they see within us an authenticity that we don't have all the answers. We can't, and that's okay. So talk about your faith. Ask the questions. What does it mean to you that God sent Jesus? Now, we're not told in the scripture passage whether Nicodemus went away a changed man. But we do know that this can change us. That the searching need not be secret. 